the Intersection Education Podcast. Schools are the place where different institutions, services, and societal influences meet. In other words, they're at the intersection of children's lives. In the Intersection Education Podcast, we speak with insiders and outsiders of the education world to try to gain new insight and improve our schools. And welcome to the Intersection Education Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Haley. This week, I speak with Nicole Acusta. Nicole is Curriculum Educational Technology Facilitator for Parkland School Division and is the winner of this year's ISTE Interactive Video Conferencing Network Educator Award. In our conversation, we focus on how technology helps teachers have impact on student learning. And she gives a lot of suggested links and resources, so be sure to check out the show notes. Now, if you like what you're hearing, connect with us, Intersection Education. You can go to our website, intersectioneducation.com, follow us on Twitter at Intersection Ed, and we're even on Facebook. We really do appreciate it when you rate us on iTunes and leave a review. Now, here's my conversation with Nicole Lacusta. Welcome to the Intersection Education Podcast, Nicole Acousta. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Corey? I'm doing really well as well. I'm excited to have you on today to talk about all things ed tech. Um, I really, like I said, am excited to have you on because I respect what you have to say. And, and I know that we're in for a, a great conversation. And, and let's start that conversation by speaking about your overall approach or philosophy when it comes to educational technology. What are some of the guiding principles that you use when working or speaking about the use of technology in schools? So, Corey, in Alberta, we happen to have a learning and technology policy framework. It came into existence in 2013. It is affectionately known as the LTPF, and it strongly supports student-centered, personalized, authentic learning and uses technology as that enabler um, to provide that vision of inspiring education from many years ago as using technology in innovative and interesting ways for students. Um, the There are five policy directions. The first one is student-centered learning. The second is research. Uh, and then we have professional learning, leadership. And then finally, of course, we need all that infrastructure to be able to uh, present that. Um, What I want from the LTPF and the work that I do with our school sites is really, what does that, how does that live in the school environment? What does that mean to be a student-centered learning environment? And so working with staff and students, even our parents, to say, what does that mean for us? What's the learning Um what does the learning look like for our students? And then how can we use the technology that we have access to, to really fit into that? Later on, I'll probably delve further into what we call the set. So I'm going to, let's keep our listeners on, (laughs) on their edge of their seats and saying, what's the set thing that she's talking about? The other approach, Corey, is we happen to have 
teacher quality standards, leadership quality standards, and uh, superintendent leadership quality standards. And those are new in Alberta as of February of 2019. And so uh, very technical pieces, but we know educators around the world have certain teaching standards that we need to abide by. And within those ones in Alberta, I really like that technology is still there. There's still not only a need for us to be knowledgeable about the technology that surrounds us, but what does that mean in an educational environment? And my hope is that in anything I do, I'm trying to be very purposeful of what are our students' needs? What's the support that our professionals need? What's the support that our staff, support staff need, as well as parents? How do we bring our parents into that conversation, as well as our students. No matter what age, from age five or up, I have students tell me exactly what technology can or can't do or should do. I, I love how your perspective goes from teachers and from schools, but it also includes, very importantly, students and, and even parents. And, and when you think of those situations... Can you can you think of examples where your philosophy, this LTPF, the TQS teacher quality standard, where technology, the use of technology really came to life? When you are thinking about the best examples where this kind of cold policy really becomes rich and warm, and maybe share some of those with us. I, I I actually have a, a few in mind. So the, f the first one just might make me cry. So I apologize to your viewers because even after all these years, it still is a, an emotional and excitement. But, it, um, uh, I was working with a grade three student at the time in one of our schools. And this student was really struggling with pen and paperwork. As soon as we put a pen, in uh, or a pencil in their hands and put a paper in front, the student was stumped and started to get frustrated. And so the teacher, the educational assistant, um, and I sat down and said, so what are, what are his needs? What does it look like? And so we sort of looked at, you know, who the student was. I actually sat down with the student and I said, so How's learning happening in your classroom? You know, what do you, and he had beautiful stories to, to share. But I said, what happens when you put a pencil in your hand? And he says, it, it, I can't, it just doesn't go from my brain. He said, down to the paper. And he was really getting upset. And I said, what if we could use your mouth to tell the story? Cause you're telling me some great stories. And he said, what do you mean? I said, Come. And so I had my computer out and our school division subscribes divisionally for all staff and students to read and write for Google Chrome. And so I said, come look. I had the Google document open. It was blank. And I said, I heard you did something this past weekend and whatever the story was. And his eyes lit up and he says, yeah. I said, do you want to see if the computer could actually listen and type what you're saying? He said, no way. I said, yeah, let's try this. So he tells his whole story. I, I turned on the tool and all of a sudden his eyes get huge and he stops and he goes, the computer's saying exactly what I'm saying. And it's typing down and he's like, oh. And so uh, it was exciting to see the child at the time go from, I'm frustrated. I can't write anything. 
from one sentence or a few words to three paragraphs just by talking into a computer. And um, where I get emotional is the mom came up and hugged me after about six months of working with her her child because she said, I didn't know. I didn't know my child knew all this. He always would tell great stories. We were excited. I didn't know he could tell great stories in his classroom to show what he was learning. And so um, it's an exciting opportunity to say if we show students the way, they will just yeah, it's crazy. They will take it and and give yeah. them voice mm-hmm. and give them voice. He had a voice, yeah. but he didn't have a voice perhaps in the classroom when it came to the academic work. But but technology gave him that. Yeah, so exciting. Yeah, and I know you've got a couple more. What are, what are some other things you're thinking of? Um, well, there was uh, this one's a high school student. Um, went away over Christmas break, had a great skiing opportunity with his family in, in the Rocky Mountains locally that we have. And um, last day, last ski down the hill, he decides to take a tumble and breaks both arms. And of course, if you know Alberta and high school, they do, you know, five months and they end at the end of January. So he breaks his arms at the very beginning of January. Yeah, three weeks before (laughs) diploma exams, which are a big deal about getting into universities and post-secondary and oh boy. So... So it was quite interesting that we knew ahead through um, discussion that this child was coming back. He was fine physically, meaning, you know, I can still attend, um, but I've got these big casts and I I can't even wiggle my fingers. So what do we do? So we used uh, voice notes where the student would actually give audio notes. And we worked with the teachers. This is where we worked a little bit more with the teachers than we did with the student because he was, yeah, okay, no problem. I'll just talk my way through it. It was really working with the teachers to say, okay, get your information online so that that student could leave audio responses um, at each of the work that he was doing, no matter what class he was in. And so that was working really well. But what happened from there, it grew out where some teachers were leaning over going, hey, why can't we do that? So we started seeing, you know, after the big diploma exams and that accommodation piece, we started seeing teachers at that site going, could we not use voice comments back to our students? So we had a few group and they said, I love this. It takes me forever to type as a teacher. I love that I can res- I can hear the intonation and what they really mean. And then from there, the teacher could go, and I can respond. And the kids are getting a kick of hearing my voice at, you know, midnight when they're actually going through their work. And they're chuckling or they're going, oh, yeah, I have to do this. So really making that relationship work with the technology while the learning is the main focus. So it's exciting. And I think that that's a great example where maybe the technology starts as something very specific for, 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 for overcoming an obstacle or something like that. And then through creativity and through, um, through people actually using it, they see another use for it and becomes more universal. So I, I love that example. Well, now, 
I know, and this is the last, um, maybe one for this one. I, I know we've had some really cool work and some really interesting work done through video conferencing. Um, maybe tell us a little bit about that and how it relates to technology and how it's kind of opening up the world a little bit for our kids. Yeah, we're really excited, Corey. Thank you for, for mentioning video conferencing. Now, that's not new in sort of the realm of education. Video conferencing was highly touted in Alberta with even grant monies even 15 to 17 years ago. Uh, but the technology has evolved so much so that it's almost plug in and play. And we're really excited about that. So... Uh, we had an opportunity in our school division to partner up with a few of our vendors at, to bring in some of that newer equipment and see, so what happens? We got together a pilot group of schools uh, three years ago, and we looked at the equipment. Our IT personnel said, yeah, this is great. And then we said, okay, why do we do this? It isn't about the technology. What is so important? And our motto, if if you don't know who Parkland School Division is, is where the world opens up. So how do we do that? How do we really move the work that we have to do as professionals, but really dig into what's really exciting, what's happening out there that we can each learn from and, and move forward and engage? How do we motivate our students and extend learning that's outside the classroom? And so this uh, telepresence project is what we're calling it, really has expanded and has so many stories of students. For instance, our kindergarten class, when Chris Hadfield used to be at the International Space Station um, just before he was coming back home, actually had an opportunity to live stream with him. Uh, and that's, to me, is an excitement. You know, I'm talking to someone in space who's talking back to me live um, uh, was was really awe-inspiring. And the kindergartners actually asked some great questions. Um, so I think they'll remember those kinds of things. The other thing is we have opportunities to meet with experts from around the world that we would have never had the opportunity without the technology. Um, just as recent as this year, we had Celine Cousteau, as part of our class uh, groupings of grade fours. And she did a bilingual video conference for our, our, our groups, which is really interesting. We had uh, an English grade four class and we had a French immersion grade four class from somewhere else tie in. And so Celine Cousteau, who's the granddaughter of Jacques-Yves Cousteau, um, actually spoke about her work um, of course, we know Jacques-Yves Cousteau quite well and his his uh, family uh, in the world of ocean um, uh, experiences. She was talking about the tribes in Brazil. So it was very interesting, um, amazing research that was happening right in front of students' um, eyes. And they were just trying to make connections with their current work. And that's what I like. It's not just this is awe-inspiring and these people are really interesting, but we're helping them make those connections to things that they've already learned or pushing them forward to things that they could, you know, delve into. Yeah. 
I want to come back on one of your first examples, which is around assistive technology, because I think it's been really revolutionary in in the way that students with learning disabilities can can access text easily, can communicate through text easily, both both input and output. Now, I know you got into a little bit of the example, but but maybe talk a little bit more generally about the effect of this technology that you see for communication. And and maybe because I know that there are still some teachers who are a bit unsure of using this technology. They are unsure that it is equivalent and they are unsure whether they should provide this support to students. What would you say to that person who is still a little bit reluctant or unsure? I think we're always unsure when we are looking at something that we are don't feel confident in. Um, my hope is the work as I that I do as a facilitator is to help support those conversations and really work at, you know, let's try this. I have to base my work on things like, and I, you know, I gave a purview of set, which really is sort of a protocol for us to really look at what are the students, you know, needing support on, what's the environment that they're in, what are some of the tasks we're asking them to really push forward? And then finally, now, what are those tools? And it's okay to not get the tool right the first time, the third time, the 13th time. I think we have to let go of it. There's only one thing out there to support those students. And it's okay to be unsure. But if we really track and we talk to one another, there's amazing expertise, not only at our school sites, but at our division, even provincially, and now due to social media, internationally, we have some many experts. We have a lot of um, research that's out there, and we can talk later about the research, but I think it's just try it. See and really work at it. If if we think you know after one try it's not going to try, I think we really need to take time. Um, for some students, it's three weeks. For some students, it's six weeks, and really digging into the tools. Yeah, I, I think that that's like any skill that we're we're looking at for students. Would you expect someone to jump on skates and be able to skate? amazingly after three weeks no it would probably take a lot more practices or a lot more times to develop that skill and so uh, I, I like that parallel how we say it is a skill to develop over time and not to become impatient with it yeah I, i'm i'm quite impressed now that the technology that we happen to have access to in our school division meaning tablets chromebooks laptops, even our higher assistive technology tools, or even our low assistive technology tools like pencil grips, we have access to that. So there, and whether it's not right in the classroom, I think it's that opportunity to just speak up and say, you know what, I have a student who is struggling. I've tried these things, tell the story and say, I need some help. We need some support. And then you know, earlier on, we talked about parents. Parents and students themselves have so much to offer to that conversation. We need to listen to student voice. We need to give students agency to move forward and try things. And it's okay. 
Um, and, but then we need to really communicate with parents and say, here's what we're trying. How, you know, would you like to try and support that at home? Um, would you like to come in and see things? Because some of that is new. They may have not had it or been exposed to it even in their own K-12 learning uh, historically, right? I think that I think that's an excellent suggestion because we also see where sometimes parents are the people who are reluctant. And so they're not accepting uh, an essay, for instance, that was done from speech to text as equivalent to someone writing it, even though their student might be struggling with a diagnosed learning disability in reading or writing or something like that. So that's a great great reminder for us to make sure that we're communicating and informing parents as well. I want to get into um, another area that I know you've been involved in, and that's some, some research suggesting that the use of technology can, can also have some detrimental effects on the health of users, um, maybe especially youth. Um, I'd like to know about your thinking, um, your, your overall perspective on this, and, and, and maybe question, has it changed maybe what your practices or maybe your recommendations? Interested to know. So not only am I a teacher, and I come from a family of teachers, um, but I'm also a parent. And I'm really trying to be cognizant of my kids happen to be exposed to technology just because of the work that I do, but also because of the ages they are. My daughter is 21 and actually just graduated from University of Alberta with a bachelor in elementary education. So she's continuing the teacher uh, tradition. And my son is 17 and um, is uh, in uh, elite hockey and will be continuing to play hockey and post-secondary. And they've been exposed at different stages to technology. And really, my husband and I have really talked about um, when is it appropriate? What's the purpose? Um, we also see in society when we go out to even something as simple as eating at a restaurant and we see the phones come out and there's no discussion. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the time to have those relationships. We also have noticed even in our classrooms when we have break times or when we have lunch time, when we're still inside the classroom, that we should really be mindful of shutting off all the extraneous and have time to socialize, to build those relationships. The research I want to talk about in regards to that is uh, over the past decade, the Alberta Teachers Association has really dug into the promise and perils of technology. And for those people who are listening, um, Corey, we can certainly give them the links yeah, to I'm, that. I will definitely provide the link in our show notes so they can just scroll down and That's they'll see it right perfect. there. This research really includes not just Alberta Teachers Association, but I'm going to list out the people because I don't want to forget them. Uh, Alberta Center for Child, Family, and Community, um, PALIX, uh, the EdTech Specialist Council of the ATA, uh, as well as other health members. And so every two years, this these groups of people get together and pull in all the research that they're doing. We have pediatricians, we have all sorts of 
interesting people. Even Harvard is part of this with Dr. Michael Rich. Um, for those of you who know him, um, he is the mediatrician is what he calls himself. And uh, uh, as well as notable, notable people like Dr. Gene Twenge, Dr. Larry Rosen. And these people really dig into how is technology changing our brains? How is it changing the way we interact with each other? And how is it changing the learning environment? Very interesting to see how technology can have that positive impact from the stories we shared earlier for students being able to demonstrate their learning in ways that they could never do, uh, reaching further outside the classroom walls. But then what does it mean when we arrive to a kindergarten class and we have children who are already very comfortable using tablets, but are uncomfortable in delving into relationships or reading or talking? And so what does that mean as teachers and then as parents to support them? And then the other piece is the health. What are our, as our students get older, what are they doing after hours, after school? Are they really taking care of their sleep patterns? And are they sleeping enough? We're finding research saying they may not be. And what's, what's happening well, they might be playing video games all late at night. They might be uh, texting each other till two, three o'clock in the morning. And so how do we support uh, parents in navigating this interesting tech tool 24-7 world? Um, and then how do we support that also in the classroom? What does it mean when we get those students in our classroom? And how can we move that forward? Uh, the colloquium, when people will look at it, will see the research based on what is healthcare saying? You know, what are we really recommending? And then how do we support parents as well as teachers in giving those environments um, not only the technical pieces where here's how you can use tech to maybe go on a great walk. So we could do that. I still could be out in nature, but I could do some really interesting things. And there's some great technology scavenger hunts, or there's opportunities to take pictures on your walks. Um, we even had a grade one teacher. The homework was a fantastic homework, I thought. Take your camera, and this could be your smartphone, this could be a digital camera, uh, this could be a, an iPod, an iPad. And for the next week, here's what I'd like you to do. So this was math homework. Any picture of any shape. And so they said, okay, this is grade one. Choose three shapes, square, circle, triangle, whatever you want. And go out into your community and take pictures of those shapes. And then bring them back. Well, the next week was amazing because the students were not just talking about math. They were talking about the adventures to get to those pictures or where those pictures were taken. So that's a positive spin on those particular pieces. The other piece is, is what are the questions we should be asking ourselves with how does my health or my students' health or our society's health how is that affected by the technology? 
and really thinking carefully about it and make those, you know, pieces. So we can look at things like uh, mediatrician, the Child Health Center has great tip sheets for parents. Uh, we have common sense education that, again, has some great things for not just classroom, but also parents. Because sometimes uh, what I get from parents and even teachers who are parents, what do I do? How do I ask my child to get off of that at 11 o'clock at night when I need to get to work and they're still up in? So how do we navigate those, again, relationships alongside the technology. I also want to talk about where technology is going. And and I think that as educators, we all we always need to have an eye on future development because our students eventually emerge from this school into a reality that may be very different. And so when you think of the technological trends that are ongoing, uh, what do you think we need to perhaps just as educators? And I'm thinking even not necessarily limit to this, but I, I know you were involved with uh, a recent presentation around artificial intelligence and perhaps the consequences of that to our workplace. Um, where do you, where do you see the future of technology, how it relates to education uh, going, or, or what do you think we need to be thinking about? From the work that I do as a facilitator, we happen to have uh, a technology focus group. And that technology focus group in our school division means there are teacher tech leaders, administrators, and IT personnel that meet on an, a regular basis throughout the school year. And our mantra is to really look at those trends which I'll talk more about, current research, and then networking and sharing. What are we doing? How do we make those connections? What's uh, What are some successes? What are some challenges? Um, we have the opportunity to look at the Horizon Report. So as viewers, you can look at some uh, from past years, the Horizon Report for K-12 education, post-secondary. They do libraries. They no longer do that. That was part of uh, COSIN's work, which is a consortium on uh, technology in the States. So we actually look to the International Society of Technology in Education, which is known as ISTE. Um, and we also look towards Gartner. And Gartner is an IT analyst group. Um, but you can blend some of that information into uh, ed the educational environment. And trends are always on a continuum. I'm really excited to say some of the past trends, let's just talk about the last three years, Corey, um, of makerspaces, of uh, really looking at robots and coding, our teachers have had always a knack for really getting to be engaged in those types of things. And I, I can tell you that our library learning common spaces, our classroom spaces are always a mix of some of that innovation of making, tinkering, coding. Um, so that's exciting to see. We're already digging into that and we're saying, now I think we're at the point in that process of saying, Let's be really mindful. We have an awareness. We've tried it. 
So how do we connect it to our current curriculum? How do we even challenge some of that? Um, back to the artificial intelligence piece, um, I, I just happened to finish a, a University of ISTE course on artificial intelligence. Um, my cohort was from around the world. It was really an international group. Uh, and it was very exciting to look at artificial intelligence in the educational environment. I get goosebumps because I'm excited to see where it can go. And I'm also reminded for those of you who uh, know Arnold Schwarzenegger and some of the movies that he's, of course, been part of and where artificial intelligence takes over the world. Um, and and I do have some administrators say, don't do that AI thing with me, Nicole. <laughs> and so I said, well, listen, we're already surrounded by it, yeah. if you didn't know. Um, uh, some of the, even earlier, we talked about speech to text. There is some of that machine learning pieces where as the speech to text learns my nuances, it starts to bring up some of those particular pieces in my writing or in the, the dictation. So it's, it's already there. The piece that I'm excited about is really getting kids to understand what is artificial intelligence. How does it support some of the things that I'm doing in learning? Uh, but in just life in general? Uh, and what can we do to take a look at it in sort of our curriculum? We're, we're, you know, what's the big deal about AI? It's not just about robots, but what could we do? And so to me, it's just, I'm hoping we have an awareness over the next year or two with our, specifically, I'd love to see it in, we have a career technology foundations in grades five to nine in Alberta. And then we have uh, CTS at the high school level where we can dig into computer science concepts already there. So maybe a little bit of an awareness. And so what does that mean? We have two robots right now in our mobile learning initiative, Cosmo, which uh, can learn and look at you and actually point you out in a crowd because he's recognized your face. And then on a higher level, we could get students to code that even further and really build into the code of this little tiny robot that fits in the palm of my hand. For our middle year students, we have another robot called Q. And for those listeners who know Dash and Dot, for our early years students, I affectionately call Q the clever bot a cousin. He is uh, really interesting because he has four emotive AI specialties. So what does that mean for students? That means they can choose which emotive personality the robot will have and then build on it. As they play with the robot, he starts to recognize certain things about them and starts doing things. And of course, has a little bit of a personality. So sometimes he tells jokes if he's one of, one of the personalities that's quite a jokester. And other times he's quite serious and he tells the kids, yeah, let's get back to work. So it's really interesting to have that interplay for students with an intelligence that is, I don't want to say human-like because we're not quite there yet right. with, with it, but some connections. Yeah. 
Okay, let's move into some uh, more general questions. It, it might relate back to technology or, or it might not. I'd like to know if there's something about learning your education that you believe is true, but when you share it, there is a large percentage of people that give you pushback on that, that don't agree with you about what you're saying about this, what you, like I said, l l believe is a universal truth. Well, I really had to think about this, Corey, because, you know, a majority of people, I'm like, oh, my goodness, what have I said? What have I talked about when people said no? Um, you know, one thing came to mind, and this is even me changing my own thought process. When I was growing up, my um, my parents took my brother and I all over the world because they were we have family across around the world. And so they believed not only should we experience our cultures, but we should also experience other places, people, etc. And they would never take us out during the school year because my mom, as I said before, retired teacher, teaching, you need to be there and you need to be in class. And that's important. My dad also highly values education. And so we would only leave during summer holidays, spring break, or Christmas break. And I was a proponent of that until I happened to realize that there's these opportunities that students and families were taking to say, you know what, Nicole, I need to take my kids out of your class during these two weeks. I know it's not a break, a regular break, but our family has this great opportunity to go off and be together and whether they're learning or whatever, but just an experience. And at the time I was like, no, this is important. You have to be here. Uh, but over time, I've totally changed that because I see how students who have had those opportunities to go learn, to go live, to go experience something different and come back and share that. Or now, speaking of technology, Skype from where they are with their classmates and say, yeah, I happen to be, uh, you know, in the middle of Africa on the Sahara Desert. Have you guys ever seen this before? Well, a majority of our students have never seen it except through movies or YouTube. And so now we have live discussions or we have journaling and these kids come back with not just a sense of my community is local, but my community is global. And so I, I still hear some society saying, no, you have your kids for 184 days, they should stay in. And so I think that's something that has really changed um, my thoughts. Yeah. I'm also interested in learning environments and, and thinking about times that you have experienced learning that was really powerful. When you think back at some of your best learning experiences, what do you think made them powerful? Was it the people? Was it the places? Was it the activities? What do you think it was about that particular experience that helped make the learning better? Uh, when I first came to division office as a facilitator, I had an amazing opportunity with our learning services personnel at the time to visit a, a facilitator that really said, listen, you're working with adults mainly when you're doing some of the professional learning. 
And they're not going to be listening to you if they're going to be sitting all day or for the time they're with you. So let me show you some different ways of getting adults to be really engaged and interacting and really wanting to learn and dig into and delve further into whatever the content or topic that you're working on. And it really pushed me further because before that, as a, a former administrator, former teacher, a lot of the PD was sit and get. And at the time, also, a lot of the work that I was doing with students was, we can't do that sit and get. We need students moving and interacting, but we need to provide that structure. So how do we do it with adults? And that facilitator really provided me with it. It happens to be Laura Lipton, and she has some great structures on that. So we'll provide your listeners, Corey, with uh, one of the Bibles that I use to really, how do we bring people together, you know, when they're coming from different school sites and they're thinking about the last parent communication or the... Uh, marking that they have to do and they're coming in to do PD like they're zooming in so how do we get everybody together on on base and and excited to be there and then interacting on the on the topic from that it really made sense to me to really look at any time we get together as adults we need to be really mindful of whatever the work it is i can easily be deterred by email by uh, texting when I really should be working on the topic and learning from my fellow colleagues or from experts and the research. So to me, it's really, it's the interaction, but providing that proper structure, sometimes we call them meeting norms, providing those structures to really engage in that and have that, whether it's an inquiry question, whether it's just the structure is set that, you know, we're going to spend this much time on, on focused on this, but now we're going to get up and start moving. And now we're going to get up and do this. Go talk with someone else. Don't stay at your table. We're, we're creatures of habit. We're going to sit with people we, we know, or, or if we come together as a group, we're going to sit with that group. Let's really focus on learning from each other in different ways. Let's get into a couple of recommendations. Um, I'd love to know if you have a favorite app or website or other media that you're really enjoying right now that you would recommend. Well, you know what? Um, my favorite right now, I have a lot of applications. And, and for those people who know me, my my work iPad actually has 880 apps right now. And, <laughs> and um, that... For some people, I'm sure the listeners are saying, what the heck is she doing? That is sort of my sandbox iPad. But I must say, what's really turned me on over the last six months is uh, the app called Flipgrid. This was bought out by Microsoft uh, about in the summer and made it free and available to all teachers everywhere. And if your listeners don't know what Flipgrid is, is it's a video response application. Easy to set up. That's what I like about it. Teachers can create a class, they can put in a topic, and students can quickly give a video response. How I've seen that delve into is not just in the classroom, but we have adults getting together, and whether it's a book club, research, 
whether it's just a topic of interest, and they're sharing those video responses. And for those who are kind of scared of this technology, I find it so easy to show Flipgrid once and they go, I can do this. And we can learn from each other. Uh, and so I'm thinking whether it's just a video response, a video journal, you could call it. Uh, to me, Flipgrid is doing some interesting things. It's a platform that is safe, secure, and easy to use. But we know that life isn't all about tech. <laughs> and True. so uh, do you have a book that you're uh, liking right now that you're recommending to others that you've really enjoyed? Well, you know what? Brene Brown's books. I am actually going back and rereading her books. I happened to watch her Netflix uh, special episode just about a month ago. And I'm like, oh, you know what? I love Brene's work. I should go back. And so that's what actually right now on my bedside table, that's what I'm doing. Uh, so that's my personal sort of piece. The work piece I'm always reading. And right now we're sitting, happen to be sitting in my office, Corey. <laughs> um, and I have lots of things. I don't know what Corey thinks about my it's, office. It's, it's very diverting. There's lots of interesting <laughs> things to look at. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but what do you want to draw attention to? <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, there's so much over here. Uh, in front of my uh, computer screens, I have a saying and it says, make it happen. And it's a play on the E-T-I-T, -E so make it happen. But it's also a play on whatever I'm doing, how can I make it happen? How can I support Corey, you as an administrator, in whatever work you're doing? How can I support a student to make whatever they're struggling or if they have a challenge for how can I support a teacher who's new to the teaching profession and maybe doesn't know a little bit of the research we just talked about and they're interested and they've asked the question. So to me, that really puts forth that, uh, that work. And I happened to win the ISTE Make It Happen Award last fall. And it was interesting. I put this quote up, Corey, in August of last year. And in October, I happened to win the ISTE Make It Happen Award. So I don't know if it was just in the cards or or is just it's finally coming to fruition, the work. Yeah. Uh, and it's exciting because I, I can't do it by myself. Mm. It's people like you. It's people like our, our, our provincial organizations that I build with and our international organizations and my Twitter professional learning network that all make it happen and move things forward. Mm -hmm. But I would say, yeah, I've got, I've got some great things going on personally with Brene Brown. She's, she's ignited some things. So I think over the summer I'll be writing some, some more little good quotes and Love some it. things to bring back. Love it. Uh, we talked a little bit about health and I'd like to maybe ask you one thing that you do every day or most days that keeps you well and healthy. Well, if you don't want me to be grumpy, then my me time and my my time is at five o'clock in the morning. And I know some people are going to be groaning right now, 
but I find I'm, I'm a very busy mom after work uh, and in the evenings, uh, whether it's for work work or personal, going out with the family and doing things and supporting my children and the work they do, um, 5 to 6.30 is my early morning workout. I, I happen to do a lot of it on my own, but just recently in February, I said, you know what, I'm going to go do some group work. So I actually happened to go to Orange Theory and three days a week I'm there, two days a week I'm on my own and I'm happy as a camper. I come back energized, I'm excited. The day is great. So it starts off my my day. So I would say if anyone wants to be mindful of how they can become healthier or more into themselves, find some me time throughout the day, whether that's meditation, whether that's a workout, whether that's let's just go for a 20-minute walk. Find something that is really yours and hold it. I put it in my calendar. No one touches that. How about an organization or a person that, that really inspires you? And that might be recently or it might be over a longer period of time. Well, I, I did mention them earlier in in the podcast. Uh, my mom is a retired teacher, a francophone, and a huge French advocate. And my father is a German immigrant, and he has an amazing head for math. Both of them have supported me in all the crazy things that I've wanted to do, whether it was art, whether it was traveling and to Europe or going to post-secondary in Europe, or just wanting to learn or do something. So uh, to me, they've always been that support saying, Nicole, whatever you want to do, we'll, we'll support you. You can do it. So it, it's been great. It's really neat to have parents who are just right on your side. How about how about in terms of tech? Anything, uh, you know, any organization or, or person that you would say, hey, if you're looking for someone who's got a shares a common vision or philosophy around technology, or if you're looking for information, if you go to these sources, you know, you're going to get robust well-researched information. Yeah. I'm going to stick to the organizations. I have some amazing Twitter professional learning network colleagues. Mm -hmm. um, I think if people want to follow me on Twitter, they'll see who they are because I, I would hate to miss one of my 100 of course. Twitter uh, groupies uh, that are just with the same philosophy. So I won't mention any particular people, but... Uh, you know, you can find out if, if people want to follow me on Twitter. But for technology, uh, earlier I did mention ISTE, and uh, certainly we can showcase that. A great opportunity to really dig into not just the research, the trends, but look at the tools, have some amazing discussions. They have uh, also a lot of books and information webinars. So if people want to really dig into educational technology, ISTE is a really good organization. They also host at the end of June, beginning of July, a huge conference, which I've been to several times and I've taken some people to. It's a little, just a little harder in Alberta because yeah. we're still 
Here in here in Canada, we are going to the end of June. It works very well for our American <laughs> colleagues who are are generally done at the beginning of June or mid June. But yeah, That's it's a right. tough time for us. I was actually just talking about that with a good friend of mine, Justin Jackson, who said, "Are you going to this? He, it's going to be amazing." I said, "Well, I'd love to, except that we're still trying to hire for next year. <laughs> we still have kids in the building, so I'm hoping one day to get there. I would love to." It, it's an amazing opportunity, Corey. So. If you can, great. And if you can't, uh, what I do when I'm un- unable to leave is a, there's a not at ISTE group. And it's amazing because we all take something different out of it. And we have people who are actually on site at ISTE using Periscope, using Skype, and actually bringing some of that those sessions, that information live to those of us who aren't there. So folks, definitely take a look at the hashtag is not at ISTE. Um, this year, it happens to be not at ISTE 19 if you want to. So lots of good things. The other two organizations, I would say, is the Texas Computer Education Association. Uh, I'm a membership. Uh, the members do some amazing things. Um, also, I've taken a group of IT administrators there it works well with Alberta teachers and specifically with our region because it happens to fall in the first week of February during our teachers convention. And for those of us who are then able to get the opportunity to go for that whole week um, somewhere in Texas to really learn, that's an experience because not only do you dig into, but you have some great conversations with Texas educators. And they themselves with us, but great uh, books, great webinars, same thing as uh, as ISTE. And then the final group is, of course, the EdTech Council of the ATA because we're in Alberta. That group really works to bring experts to the province, uh, share some of the research that's happening on a grand scale, but also provincially. And I think we should always support, you know, some of our local organizations. Absolutely. You mentioned that people should follow you on Twitter. Let's give that uh, username right now. How can people follow what you're doing and all the good stuff? Thank you, Corey. So my Twitter handle is at NLacusta. I'll spell that. N-L-A-K-U-S-T-A. Uh, I highly encourage you to follow Nicole. She is a wealth of good Twitter info, a great follow. And Nicole, I just want to thank you so much for agreeing to speak with uh, me and to everyone listening today and to sharing your uh, incredible insights. And I think that everyone's going to take uh, a little bit of something away uh, back to their teaching or back to their perspective. So thank you so much. You're welcome, Corey. It was great. It was fun. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Intersection Education Podcast. Just a reminder that you can connect with us on our website, intersectioneducation.com, on Twitter, intersectioned, or leave a review on iTunes. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next time.